It's true that some things change as we get older. But if you're a woman over 40 and you're dealing with insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, and weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. And with MIDI Health, you can get help and stop pushing through it alone. The experts at MIDI understand that all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes that happen around menopause. And MIDI can help you feel more like yourself again. Many healthcare providers aren't trained to treat or even recognize menopause symptoms. MIDI clinicians are menopause experts. They're dedicated to providing safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions for dozens of hormonal symptoms, not just hot flashes. Most importantly, they're covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. You deserve to feel great. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode 43 of the Superhero Ethics Podcast. My name is Matthew Westfox. I'm one of your hosts. I'm really excited because today we're going to be talking about The Punisher, which is a, a TV show that both myself and Jacob, my co-host, um, we're, we're both really, I think really kind of shook by and really had a lot of questions and thoughts we wanted to discuss. Um, and Jacob, I'm, I'm glad you're here with us. But also here with us is Jess Plummer. Jess is a writer and a podcaster and a, a real comic book lover who I met at WISCON last year and who wrote an article that I'm going to be posting in the release notes uh, for this podcast that really kind of hit on a lot of the things I was trying to find words to uh, as I was thinking about uh, The Punisher and as I was talking about it with Jacob. Uh, and so I really wanted to get Jess on uh, to join us, so I'm really excited she can be here. So, um, Jessica, welcome, and how are you doing today? I'm good. Thanks for having me. Good, good. And Jacob, how are you doing today? I'm still a little bit under the weather, but I'm going to soldier through for for my people. Okay, <laughs> good, 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 good use of soldier through in this particular instance. So, uh huh, you uh, caught that. Well, let me good. just uh, let me just start by throwing it out. Um, what did you guys think of Netflix as the Punisher? Jessica, you want to go first? Sure. Um, yeah, I thought that it was a very well made show that was trying to say some very smart things and important things that ultimately undermined itself um, by sort of reveling in the kind of violence that it was trying to sort of indict. That's, that is uh, pitch perfect as far as I'm <laughs> concerned. Uh, that, yeah, exactly. Uh, there, there was a lot of uh, very interesting things I felt going on in the show and, and with what uh, the the writing and the direction of the the plot was trying to do, but you're absolutely right that there are just far too many moments where we're celebrating the very toxic violence that it's trying to be an indictment of. There's a bit um, in either the last or the second to last episode um, where uh, it's not even Frank, it's Billy, it's the bad guy, but he has this moment where he's doing this like slow motion cool guys don't look at explosions power walk out of this safe house <laughs> while taking out all these federal agents with like a single shot to the dead center of the forehead while Creedence Clearwater Revival plays. And it's like, what, what are you doing? It's like they forgot what show they were making for three and a half minutes because they really wanted to do this cool sequence. Yeah. And I, I, I've wondered about that. And I, I want us to talk in a minute about how much that is something that like, can you have a Punisher show without that? Or is that just integral to the whole nature of the Punisher character? Because as I was watching that, I was reminded of something, and I think I've mentioned this on the podcast before, but I'll, I'll explain it briefly. Um, that was mentioned in the, um, the, uh, the commentary track of the Hunger Games movie, um, where the director is talking about how, you know, the Hunger Games is a series of books that are meant to be deeply critical of the media portrayal of violence. And like that this is the, the natural direction of that. And the director of the movie was saying that he felt he had a real conflict where if the movie wound up glorifying the thing that the movie is supposed to be critiquing, then, then they had totally failed in, in, in doing what the, the book was supposed to be doing. Um, and, and the way that he sort of thought of it was, you know, that if people watched the Hunger Games movie and came out wanting to act out the action scenes, that that was the sign they'd failed. Um, and I was thinking about that because I was thinking no matter what, you know, no matter what point Punisher might make, people are going to want to act out that, that cool scene that Billy does, you know? Mm 
Um, and it just, it, I, I like what you say that it, it, it feels, um, it, it, it feels incoherent, you know, because it's totally contradicting itself. Yeah, definitely. In many, in many ways, it was like watching two shows. Uh, one of which was the, your, your quintessential American action TV show where you've got cool guys walking away from explosions as, as just so eloquently put it. Uh, and you've got these, you know, glorious, uh, almost heroic, I'm using that in sort of a, a, an ironic fashion, uh, action scenes. And then another one where the violence is in the show is deeply upsetting and you're not meant to be happy about it. And the pitch change oftentimes, uh, even within the same episode, was a little jarring. Yeah, I, I think that's a good point, especially because, for me, what I wanted was the uncomfortable violence, you know, because I think that takes away from the glorification. Um, we, we've talked about it before, but Jess, have you seen the movie Logan? Yeah, yeah, I have. Um, how, how would you contrast it to that? Because to me, Logan is a movie where, at least as I took it, there is no... The, the violence is never pretty. You know, you never yeah. sort of walk away thinking, I want to be just like Wolverine. You're, you're thinking, even though the violence is for such a good reason, my God, this is awful. And look at the cost it's having on people. Yeah, definitely. And I think part of that is um, that the violence is primarily perpetrated, at least on the, you know, the good guy side by um, Logan himself, who's dying and a little girl. So yeah. it it feels wrong because... Like, compare that to John Bernthal, who's, like, this, you know, very good-looking man who's in the prime of life, and he has all these shirtless scenes. And, like, <laughs> there's there's nothing dashing about seeing Wolverine in action, either of the Wolverines in action, um, in Logan, the way that there was in sort of the earlier X-Men movies, because he's literally, like, Frank is a broken man on the inside, but Logan is a broken man on the inside and the outside, and they make that yeah. very palpable. Well, and, and, and so do you think this was just about um, this particular portrayal of the Punisher, or is this kind of dichotomy just baked into the Punisher itself? Like, could, could you have a Punisher that was more like uh, Logan, or where it's making a great commentary on the price of violence and the price of the military without glorifying those things? You know, I think I think it's really endemic to not just the concept of the Punisher, but the fact that he is a licensed character who will be used perpetually in these like endless narratives by Marvel. I think you could tell mm -hmm. that story in like a nice, succinct sort of one and done. Um, but even even with the little Punisher content that we've seen in MCU, you you have this whole story that's told with. Um, with Frank in season two of Daredevil, and then they expanded on that for his own show. And you're already getting to this point of like almost cartoonishness where it's like, oh, your family died in a mob hit. It was actually a military thing. It was actually a government thing that was covering up a military thing. Like, yeah. Um, and I think Punisher stories in the comics tend to sort of fall into two different camps there's the kind that I would say the show is much more aligned with that are really trying to show that Frank is, is broken and really trying to make a point. Um, and they, they have the same problems that the Punisher show does. And then there are the ones that are just like rolling in it like a pig in the mud. They just love it. <laughs> are you telling me that a movie with Dolph Lundgren wasn't a deep commentary <laughs> on the problems of violence? You know, I haven't seen that one, but I don't <laughs> expect it to really blow my mind. What, what about you, Jacob? It's a reasonable expectation. <laughs> <laughs> Jacob, I know, unlike me, but like, but like Jess, you've, you've read a lot more comics. Have you read many of the Punisher comics, and do you know more about like that side of it? I'm only a little bit familiar with, with the aesthetic. Uh, I was never really into the, the Punisher as a character as comics. I have, I have very many problems with the, the core concept behind the character. Mm -hmm. um, and there are things that, uh, there are things that the uh, series or that, that um, the stories behind the character uh, glorify is one way to put it. Uh, they, they, they put it out there and they, they celebrate it that I think have no business being celebrated. Yeah. Uh, so I, I usually step away. There are some very good Punisher stories I'm given to understand. Um, 
and in a lot of ways, I feel like we saw one on Netflix, but it was it wasn't without its share of problems. Yeah, and I and I will say for me as someone who was not very introduced to the Punisher, like my main memory of the Punisher was being in seventh and eighth grade and having a lot of my friends, you know, go crazy about it. And I I grew up in New York City where gun violence was was a thing long before in schools long before Columbine. Um, and I, and I was already, you know, to me, the idea of the glorification of the guns never really did it for me. Um, but I will say I, and, and Justin, I'm wondering how this would fit into what you were saying about the kind of one-off. I loved Punisher in Daredevil. I loved him being a character who was there primarily to be a foil for Matt Murdock in terms of like, you know, and, and granted, I, I, have to, I talked way too much on this podcast already, and we will get off uh, Marvel at some point soon. Um, but, but I love all of Matt Murdock's struggles with, you know, can I do violence but only go so far? And here comes the Punisher as the foil to help him sort of see, like, is that ridiculous? Does that make a point? And in some ways, if the Punisher had just been that role in Daredevil and then slinked off never to be heard from again, I think I would have loved it. Um, when I heard that he was getting his own show, I went, oh, God, this is going to be terrible. Um, but but I did think he, 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 the role he played in Daredevil really worked for me. And I'm wondering for you two, what, what was your take on that? in regard to what we're talking about. Yeah, I mean, I think that he definitely works better as a supporting character, as a character who is sort of in conversation with other people who want to, if not do good, because I don't know if you can say that Frank wants to do good, but at least want to stop bad. Um, Mm -hmm. And, I mean, he was originally created as just, he was a Spider-Man villain. Um, and he didn't right. have his whole ideology mm-hmm. then. He just had, like, a costume and his, like, white opera gloves. Like, his original costume makes me laugh so hard. <laughs> but <laughs> how does he keep his gloves and boots so gleamingly white? Um, and doesn't that present a huge target? You'd think. You'd think. But, I mean, you could ask Batman that, too. And, anyway. Um well, Batman's all black, though, right? Well, like, Punisher's yellow... clearly using bleach. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess. yeah. yeah. We're going to do an ep- episode on sidekicks at some point and discuss the, the ethics of being someone who hides and puts your sidekick in red and orange and yellow. <laughs> and underpants. Um, anyway. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Sorry, but Jess, go on. Um, which, uh, just to stay on the fashion bit for a second, I just, I love every time <laughs> they have a really serious shot of Frank, like, painting a skull on his shirt <laughs> yes yep. you're a very serious man mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah I think that he works really well in opposition to heroes and it works better in something like Daredevil season 2 than it does in say the larger Marvel universe where literally there are hundreds of people who can you know, lift trucks and their whole thing is you can't ever kill anyone. Oh, hey, Frank, what's up? Like that, the fact that they just let him do his thing and every so often team up with him doesn't really work. But when it's kind of isolated the way that it was in Daredevil, I think that he works well, not as a viewpoint figure, but as someone placed there to sort of test the morality and I don't mean necessarily in a temptation way, just as like like a stress test for yeah. the morality of your hero. To, to step away from Marvel into DC, but have you seen um, Batman Mask of the Phantasm? Um, that's uh, the one in the animated series canon, right? With his girlfriend yeah. from college or whatever? Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, well, I'm just, as you say that, I'm, I'm reminded of that in that the Punisher to me can be best when he plays that same kind of role as a phantasm of the person who is in theory doing something similar to what our heroes are doing, but is going further than our heroes are willing to go and is Mm -hmm. thus sort of proving to our heroes why they have that line. Right. And there are so many villains who sort of fit into that role, like, um, like Magneto or Poison Ivy. They have that, they have very good points that they're making, Um, But they go, you know, quote unquote, too far, depending on the story and depending on where your particular line is. Um, Like it's it's a very useful uh, morality to give a villain, 
the difference is they're not usually treated as a protagonist the way that Frank has been for the past 30 years. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I, I can... I agree with, with a lot of, of what you just said, Jess. The um, the thing I think is interesting is that uh, we're talking about Punisher in the context of, well, he's a really good foil, right? And, and the reason why he, his portrayal on Daredevil was so good was he was a character that basically uh, got to ask our heroes point-blank questions they weren't comfortable uh, dealing with at the time. Mm-hmm. What I find very interesting is that some of the best scenes in the Punisher TV show were the times where uh, Frank Castle was interacting with uh, Sarah Lieberman or or Karen Page or David Lieberman um, when he's interacting with people and they're they're either challenging him in some way, either in creating an awkward situation or in by directly asking him, you know, hey, is what you're doing really right? Much in the same way that that Punisher was was saying to Daredevil, "Look, I don't think your method works." Yeah, definitely. Um, I was going to say I think that the show did something really smart by bringing that microchip character in with David and giving him a large role and giving Frank somebody to talk to for oh yeah for most of the episodes because and also um, with Curtis um, in a lot of places because. Yeah, when it's just, you know, Frank in his his battle van. He calls it a battle van because he's a grown-up. Of course he does. <laughs> when it's just, like, Frank in his battle van with his suitcase full of spray-painted T-shirts, there, there's not much there there. And in in that same way, like, uh, they, they give us Karen and Curtis, and it was a, a bit of a, a dramatic cheat, right? Because they needed to give us people that still were extant that – Frank cared about in order to engineer drama, uh, because it was just Frank going around killing a bunch of ostensibly bad people. That that only tells like maybe an hour's worth of story, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I I think that's right, and I want to I want to um, go a little bit deeper on Curtis and some of those other characters because um, I, there's obviously a lot that's critical about the show that we can discuss, but I want I want to at least spend a few minutes talking about things we thought the show did well, um, and my. Uh, to me, I think, and I, I think you guys have similar thoughts. Um, I did really like the way. It, to me, this was one of the best portrayals of PTSD and the effects of being in the military and the effects of the military not not taking care of people the way it needs to. Um, we, we've now seen a number of heroes. Um, probably the, one of the best examples is um, Tony Stark and Iron Man, where where you get to see one particular character dealing with something like that. But I can't. But 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 in each case, you always wind up that character is the stand-in for everyone. I can't remember another show where they really showed a number of different people, all of whom had been in this kind of horrific situation, all of whom had been deeply scarred by it, and all of whom had been scarred in very different ways. And I I really appreciated being able to see like the diversity of experience in that regard. Yeah, no, I agree with you. I think that they that was one of the things that I think when the showrunners sat down and they. They thought about the story that they wanted to tell. They wanted to tell a story about and for veterans. And I mean, I I think it was handled really well. I didn't serve, like I can't speak to it from a, on a personal level. Um, but I, yeah, I think that the, the sort of diversity of experiences that they showed. And I also really liked um, the, the fact that they, there was the guy I don't remember his name, but the one who, uh, the really right-wing one who kind of set Lewis down his self-destructive path. Um, yep. I, I really like that they sort of took a moment to show a character who co-opted um, the veteran experience for his own political ends. Not that that mm-hmm. ever happens in our world. <laughs> no, of course not. But I thought that that was a really, a really smart point, and I appreciated that they made it yeah i mean I, I think it's easy to to make everyone in that room a hero um and 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 with some very good reason but i, I liked that showing that some people were having you know that, that all of these different experiences including some people who were who were using it for their own ends in different ways um jacob, jacob what was your take on on how it was portraying those issues well i was going to bring up the character of of o'connor as a as a great example of of somebody who didn't actually experience trauma but pretended that he did uh, as a way to contrast the the characters of Lewis and of Curtis and of Frank and how they're 
all of them actually had real real trauma and were dealing with it in radically different ways. Um, one thing I found particularly fascinating uh, on this point uh, is that in our portrayal of PTSD, we have two characters who do uh, who have a very similar reaction, who take a very very similar line of action. Uh, but one of them is given as our protagonist, as our hero in Frank Castle, and the other one is Lewis. And he does very much the mm. same kind of thing as Frank, but Frank's our perspective character and is going against people we think are bad. But in Lewis's brain, he's not doing anything different. Oh, yeah, no, I think that for me, that was one of the points where the show kind of fell apart. Um not because I don't disagree with you. I think that it was an interesting choice. I think that they kind of had to explore that. And I think that they were trying to both contrast them as, you know, Lewis is just, you know, running roughshod over everyone because his, his goals are incoherent and he's, you know, he's too dangerous and Frank has a point and a mission and whatever. Um, while also, I do think they were trying to problematize Frank in that comparison as well, um, with that whole, you know, the stereotypical, we're not so different, you and me, <laughs> thing, that the, which the villain always says, and Lewis is a minor villain, but still, he's an antagonist, at least. Um, right. But in the end, even if they're trying to use it Either they're trying to use it to show that what Frank is doing is a problem, but they still want us to root for him, or they're trying to use it to show us that what Frank does is totally different, but there's also like a joke a couple episodes later where he and David are watching TV and they're like, the Punisher who killed 37 people, and David goes, 37? And Frank says, that they know of. And it's a funny joke, but it's also like, this is our hero? Yeah. They're, well, they're yeah. trying to do two things at once. Yeah, and, and I agree with you there, actually, about how it fell flat. Uh, I just, I'm just, i glad you brought that part up, because that's that was the, the next point I wanted to, to get to, was that they, find, they, they failed to really draw where they wanted us to take that, whether they wanted us to, to keep rooting for Frank, even though mm, they're really doing similar things or if they actually wanted us to buy that they were radically different from each other which i i did not end up buying uh that they were all that different especially because and jess i think this was a point you made in your article if i remember in the show the point that frank makes and i think that billy makes and i think the audience is supposed to take away from is that the difference between frank and and to some extent billy versus lewis is that lewis is a coward that Lewis is using bombs and killing, you know, he, that in lashing out instead of, you know, standing up and shooting them in the face like a man. Um, and, and of all the things that I have to say that to me differentiate, that I, I don't think there is that much that differentiates Lewis and Frank. And certainly if I'm finding anything that separates them morally, to me the manner by which they're killing has very little to do with it. Um, I, I, I can see Lewis as a little bit more morally problematic just because... I have even more trouble disagreeing with his cause than I do with Frank, so that I can't agree with Frank's cause either. But but I thought the episode, the, the show really took a direction that I couldn't go in, but by making it the, the, the idea that the difference between them is, is Lewis's cowardice in some way. Yeah, the line in the sand that they draw is their choice of weapons. Mm -hmm. And yeah. the idea behind that seems to be Lewis uses bombs, and those could kill innocent people, whereas Frank and, yeah, Billy as well, have this, and, and Karen, too, have this point of view that if you are shooting people, first of all, uh, you're braver because you're walking right up to them and shooting them, and second of all, you can literally target, you know, the bad guys, and you're not killing innocent people, um, which plays back into the the bit in season two of Daredevil when Frank tells Karen that she was never in danger when he was shooting wildly at her in Grotto because he never ever misses. Like, he, he never hits somebody he yeah. doesn't mean to hit, which is just nonsense. Like there, that, that particular conceit is ridiculous, especially when he's using automatic weaponry. Right? Uh, yeah. 
and, and to me, it's such an important one. And, and, and Jess, I, I want to uh, give credit. You, you mentioned this in your article. It, it's not like that's just an idea in a vacuum. That idea that the, the good man with a gun will only do damage to the bad people and will never hurt someone accidentally, I mean, that's a fundamental part of our political debate at the moment. Um, and I, I, I yeah, I, I found it really troubling that the show was seeming to endorse an idea that is not only nonsense, but is used to justify all kinds of terrible ideas in our current political world. Yeah, like I think it's actively dangerous to have the hero of your show, even if he is an anti-hero, even if he's really, really sad about things, to have the hero <laughs> of your show say, a brave man shoots his enemies in a country yeah. where I, I was just looking up the stats for this um, uh, before prior to us recording it, um, but I said in my article, uh, between the um, between Comic-Con last year when they delayed, when they announced they were delaying the uh, premiere of The Punisher because it was so close to the Las Vegas shooting, mm -hmm. and when mm -hmm. The Punisher actually dropped about seven weeks later, there were 47 mass shootings in America. So yeah. people going up to their enemies and or perceived enemies and shooting them is not something that we have a lack of in this country. And I think it's really irresponsible to suggest otherwise, even if you're trying to problematize the concept, because at the end of the day, the show is called The Punisher. He's the main character. He's the hero. You do want people to empathize with him, even if you don't want people to emulate him. And that's a really, really fine line to draw. Yeah, to me, it raises a really interesting question. And it's one that I, 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 we've talked about diving into even further on a later podcast. But this is a great time to, to bring up, which is what do you do when, the when, when you're trying to, to, to adapt a source material where – the, the, the situation in our own world has, has changed enough that the source material is even more tone deaf than maybe it was originally. Because I, I think about, you know, whatever this, like I know that the, um, the Punisher was very much supposed to be uh, written in the, the Vietnam era. He was supposed to be a Vietnam vet and was supposed to be a commentary on the, the, the pretty bad way that Vietnam veterans were treated coming back from that war. Um, and, and, and not to say that gun violence in America in the 1970s wasn't a problem. I'm sure it was. But it has changed so dramatically between now and then in terms of just how bad an issue it is and just how controversial an issue it is. It, it struck me as – tone deaf seems like not even a strong enough word to talk about how inappropriate for our current situation this story was. Well, I can tell you how you don't adapt it for the modern era to make it better. Uh, you probably shouldn't put in an entire straw man argument scene, for example, on gun oh, control. God. <laughs> just just throwing that out there yeah. as, as a thing that maybe maybe you don't do that. Maybe you instead, you know, have something where you, you research the actual arguments people are using and then have them have a legitimate, like, on-screen dramatic debate about it. Just, uh, just for those who haven't seen the show, um, what Jacob's referring to is there's, there's a series, there's a, a couple of episodes towards the end of the show um, at a pivotal moment where... Uh, we're introduced to the character of a senator who is um, ostensibly making a case against uh, a case for gun control against guns, and the character is betrayed as just like almost. I expect him not to be not on a Marvel Netflix, but on something out of Agents of Shield. You know, <laughs> I mean, he's a general Talbot level of ridiculousness in just being such a straw man. He's you know clearly hypocritical. He's clearly putting himself in in you know throwing under the people under the bus. And the end result is just to to make the argument for gun control look ridiculous. Um, with that little bit of background, Jess, what what was your take on on that that entrance into the political debate by the show? Yeah, no, that was that was where the show really lost me. Um, it yeah, it, he's a straw man. He's it, it's ridiculous. Like you can't do this show with in today's political climate without talking about gun control. You can't do it. Um, yeah. But yeah, they didn't engage into that argument in good faith at all. The character that they used was completely ridiculous. And they have no problem writing in characters with opposing viewpoints to Frank. 
So mm-hmm. it felt very, um, it felt very rote. It felt very like, oh, we have to do this. Um, which is like, then just, just skip it then. Yeah, I, yeah. I wonder uh, what your what your take on this was, Jess, because for me, uh, w- when I saw that that scene playing out, my my immediate thought, my immediate reaction was, okay, they think they have a certain audience for this show, and that audience is you know super hyper for guns. They really like guns, and so they're gonna give them the scene where they get to see those stupid arguments get taken down. Like I. That's what it felt like to me that they're like that this was a pageant for people yeah, that like they it was expect pandering. to be their audience. Yes, exactly. Pandering yeah. is a great word for it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, well, I can and, see that. And I have to admit, go ahead. I was just going to say I, I could definitely see that being being the motivation for that. I, for me, I think the part of it all that was a, that was the most troubling was not even just the senator, um, but was the character of Karen. Who I really want us to talk a little bit more about, and, and I'll just start with, with her on this issue, but I'd love any thoughts you have on her in general. Um, to me, one of my absolute favorite parts of Daredevil Season 1, and again, uh, we'll put in a spoiler note at the beginning, but this is going to include spoilers for everything from the Marvel Netflix universe, but early in se- uh, late in Season 1 of Daredevil, um, she's alone with King Penn's, um, uh, his lieutenant, I think his name is Wesley, is that yeah, right? Yeah, that sounds Something right. Something like that. Wesley. Um, and he is clearly intimidating her. He's clearly putting her in a in a horrible situation, and she shoots him. And it is portrayed as one of the most like justified pieces of lethal violence that has appeared in any MCU situation. She is clearly in you know clearly in great danger, and her character is shown in the show as having such moral guilt and qualms about what she did. And I loved that because I loved seeing like. No, taking a person's life, even under these great circumstances, is not an easy thing to do. It does not make you sleep easy at night. And I feel like by having Karen... And I, I can understand that the character of Karen does come down saying to herself, I needed a gun in that situation. People should be allowed to have guns in that situation. I am not as pro-gun control as other people. I, I can understand that. But the degree to which she was so gung-ho for gun control, against gun control, just seemed like a betrayal of that that conflict she'd been having in season one um did, did that did that moment from karen strike you guys as false or did it did it feel more in line with where her character was going i mean yes and no um aspects of how she responded to all of that did link up with what we'd seen in daredevil for me but i agree with you that she seems to sort of have made her peace with with lethal violence in, in a strange way. Um, and I just want to say, I love Karen. I think that she is a really fascinating character who, um, gets to do a lot of things that female characters in superhero shows don't get to do and always pushes the plot forward, always has her own storyline going, um, and has a lot of the same personality flaws that Matt has which I think mm-hmm. makes her a really interesting foil for him, if probably a terrible romantic partner. Um, <laughs> it's, it's bad. It's just bad. Um, but I don't think Matt Murdock should be around other people intimately. I think he's, he's not. He's not emotionally mature enough for that. He's such a sad mess. I love him so much. Um, yeah, I do too. <laughs> yeah, with in so in season two of Daredevil. She gets Karen gets into a debate with Matt about the Punisher, and it's really clear that she sort of latched on to Frank first, Grotto, and then Frank because she wants to believe that if someone like Frank can be redeemable, then she can too. Um, mm. Whereas in the Punisher, they seem to have just taken the part of her that believes that Frank can be redeemable because that's what Frank needs. Like that's what that part of the story needs. Um, Oh yeah. And I could see, you know, I could see it going either way. I could see her thinking, wow, I was threatened with a gun. I sure hope nobody ever has guns. Or I could see her thinking, well, literally everybody I know is a criminal besides foggy. So 
<laughs> I guess I should have a gun because everyone else will. Oh, you wait. Foggy's right. going to be guilty of some white-collar crime in the next season no. of Daredevil. And you're just, yeah, it's all going to go down. Never. Uh, Foggy's my favorite. That can't yeah, happen. Yeah, he's my favorite, too. Team, team Foggy. Okay. <laughs> uh, so, in that particular scene, though, uh, when... So, Karen is, is interviewing this person, and I feel like part of the conceit behind that scene was supposed to be that she was intentionally challenging his ideas... Uh, and as in part of her role as a reporter, uh, it was trying to actually get, you know, get a dialogue out of him. Uh, and the other part of it was that she knew that this person was, was vocally advocating against her friend, Frank. And if there's one thing Karen Page has shown us, that she is viciously loyal to her friends. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I feel like a, a lot of the way she acted in that scene was maybe even betraying herself a little bit, but it was consistent with her character. I think more consistent with her character than the lines themselves in a vacuum maybe would, would suggest. Yeah, I, I can definitely see that, especially in terms of her loyalty to Frank. Um, and I, but, but I do think Jesse, I, I agree with your point that it, it, in, in Daredevil, when she's talking about Frank, it, it, it feels like that, that she's talking about both of them. Whereas I, I didn't see, I, I think, je, je, what you said, Jess, that I didn't see her relating to, to, to the Punisher in the same kind of way. There it seemed much more about loyalty to the friend instead of making the point about herself. Um, I, I think there's also a whole other question we can get into about um, uh, Karen as a journalist in that regard, uh, in terms of the, the, the what she is or is not bringing in herself. Um, but that would probably get into a whole other issue. Um, we, we started to touch on it, but Jess, I know you had wanted to talk somewhat about the idea of collateral damage, especially in regard to Karen. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, Karen kind of has a reputation, I think, among viewers as someone who gets people killed, um, <laughs> particularly people of color. Uh, and this is one of the things that I was uh, talking about when I said that she's very similar to Matt. When she decides that she knows what's right, she will do it. Yeah. She's not going to be talked out of it. She does not care about safety, but she doesn't care about her own and she doesn't really, like, even consider the safety of people around her. She's just going to do the thing. And it's something that right. I really like about her from a perspective of wanting to see a wide range of female characters in superhero media, while at the same time wanting to shake her and be like, girl, girl, you have to stop. <laughs> and so when they get that first letter from Lewis at the paper and it's like, tell me that you're with me or I'll know that you're one of them and I'll blow up the paper. And she's like, I am going to write an editorial where I tell him that he is stupid and he smells bad <laughs> and I hate his face. And Ellison is like, okay, well, first of all, you don't write editorials. That's not your job. And right. <laughs> second of all, Please don't, because he will put a bomb here and I will die. Mm -hmm. And she's like, but I hate him. And he's like, right, but you need to stop for a minute. And it's that kind of, she, she's got her dander up. She knows what she thinks is the correct thing to do. And she is going to do it regardless of the consequences. And the, the idea that there could be consequences does not come up. It is not addressed by the show at all. And I think that she is she yeah. is much more like Matt in that way than she is like Frank, simply because the narrative does create all of these consequences to Matt's actions in a way that it just doesn't for Frank, because Frank is magic, never miss guy. But similarly... Well, although Frank does, Frank does decide to go help one of his... to go ask one of his friends for help, and in the course of doing so, immediately gets his friend killed. Yes. And then that gets dropped. Like, the show... Yeah. I, I wanted to bring up the topic of collateral damage because I think that Karen creates a lot of it in both shows. And Frank creates some and realistically would create far more. Um, like, in the comics, there's all these Punisher wannabes. Like, there are a number of other yeah. characters who start doing what he does. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, even in the real world, there are people who, there was the guy who 
went to, um, I think it was Phoenix Comic Con. It was like right at the same time as the last WizCon actually, who showed up in like a Punisher shirt with, with a bunch of weapons and got arrested. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. And that story kind of got, cause he didn't actually manage to shoot anybody. So it's not a news story anymore. Well, and, and perhaps even even more damning, it wasn't Punisher related, but I, it, it it's a sad state that I can't remember which of the mass shootings this happened in because there were so many, but I know that there's been in the last six months or so at least one mass shooting, where where part of what happened was someone opened fire, someone else started returning fire, and that person who was trying to be the good guy with a gun hit at least one other innocent person. Yep. Um, you know, and I can't um. Mostly I just remember the West Wing episode where they talk about this happening. Um, but I can't remember the specifics, but I know that it has happened at least once. I'm sure it's happened in many other cases where we just don't talk about it. It's interesting. The, the, the issue of collateral damage is something that we see explored in superhero stories pretty pretty consistently um, when it's somebody who's got like powers, right? When somebody like Daredevil will hear about like, oh, I've got to make sure nobody finds out who I am or finds out who who can connect to me or there are people who are going to get hurt because of me, because of my actions. But when they're a normie, right, when, when they don't, when they ostensibly don't have any powers or any power uh, ability or aren't putting on a fancy costume to go fight crime, uh, we don't see those characters have that kind of torture or have that, that those kinds of hang-ups. Um, I actually feel that Karen, in a lot of ways, is... I couldn't have put it better than you did, Jess. Uh, she's very much like Matt Murdock in how she chooses to act and what her compass is, and in what, hap- what the consequences of her actions are. It's just that uh, Matt seems to be torturing himself about it a lot more because it's his favorite pastime. <laughs> and to be fair, he's very Catholic. Yes. Wait, I'm sorry. And, yeah, I mean, also, like he has to because he's on screen a lot more. Yeah, that's true. That's true. And and they've made him Catholic, and they don't seem to understand that it's possible to be Catholic without having a massive amount of guilt. <laughs> in the modern, modern I thought it was yeah. because it isn't. Um, uh, maybe I'm wrong. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Frank. Frank's Frank Catholic. Seems okay. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think Frank has a religion. I, I'm well. He was unless yeah, proven he was otherwise. Raised Catholic. Sure. Yeah, I mean, he's he he certainly comes from that same idea. And again, this was an idea that comes more from the seventies than than has resonance today. But but the character is very much supposed to be part of that sort of like Catholic Slavic blue collar, you know, either Slavic or Irish or something like that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think that's a very big part of his character. Well, and I want to talk a bit more about, to, to take it a little bit in a different direction, but but kind of tying into stuff we've said already, um, and with this idea of sort of like, of what you just said about, you know, Frank's lack of guilt. One of the things that I think is really interesting is his relationship with Micro, because we see, and we only get it uh, fully revealed later in the show, but part of what we learn is that, you know, Frank was Frank trusted and believed in his military superiors. He believed in what Agent Orange told him to do, and he wound up doing some pretty awful, terrible things, including shooting this um, Afghani uh, police person um, because he trusted in his superiors. And in theory, that's kind of one of the things that broke him most. But one of the things that we seem to see, at least I saw, and I'm wondering if you guys saw this as well, is he has the same deal with Micro. Micro points, Frank shoots. Um, and even though he's arguing with Micro all the time about methods, on some level he is still trusting uh, – my take at least was that he was still trusting Micro to point him in the right direction the same way he had trusted his military superiors before. Um, did you guys get that? And if so, what did you think about it or did you not see it that way? You know, I hadn't thought of it that way, but it def- like it definitely fits in with my understanding of Frank as a character. I think – one of the tragedies of Frank is that he is literally a man without a home. He no longer has a place where he fits. He used to have sort of two hierarchies in which he understood himself. He was in the military and he had a family and he knew where he fit in both of those places. And you can definitely see like it's it's not subtle at all the way he sort of tries to re- 
recreate that with Micro's family, but I hadn't considered him recreating the military aspect of it with Micro, but he's definitely someone who always, more so in, um, in Daredevil, but still in The Punisher, he, he seems to sort of evaluate, I don't know, where he fits into the hierarchy of everyone around him, and he tends to to use terminology around people that he thinks fits with where that is. So he always refers to Karen as ma'am, um, because that's the respectful thing to do. And he always refers to Foggy as counselor. And like there's, he's trying oh, to, I hadn't picked up on yeah, that. he's trying to construct this world. And then, so the fact that he doesn't ever give Matt or Daredevil any kind of respectful title shows his sort of disdain for Matt's whole operation. The fact that he just calls him like red or altar boy or whatever the whole time. He's never like Mm -hmm. fellow vigilante. He's like, no man, (laughs) you're ridiculous. But I think that makes, it makes a lot of sense to me that even somebody as badly burned as Frank is, would still be desperately trying to find a, a spot that fits him that has other people in it because one of his issues is how, how terribly lonely he is. It's yeah. very interesting. I, I, I like how you put that. You, you tied something together that I hadn't realized yet uh, in, the, in that Frank does in fact seek that hierarchical structure wherever he goes. He, 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 just, he attempts to identify the hierarchy and his place in it and then moves on from there. And that's probably got to do with his military background, but it it's a fundamentally broken way to interact with your other human beings. Yeah. Well, and that's something that is, um, um, I, I, I've done, um, as someone who's, who's lost a limb myself, and I've done some counseling with, with, with military veterans and, and have PTSD myself, I, I, my, my studies have shown that that, that that is something that very often happens, is that there's often sort of a desire coming out of the military to want to recreate parts of that. Um, and especially the authority, the hierarchy, the things that sort of give life order and structure. Um, and I think that, that um, the connection I'm making is that, that the show really highlights that, not only with Frank, but also with Lewis. Yeah. You know, with him sort of wanting to, to go back to living in a trench situation and how much, you know, he wants, it's not just that he wants Frank to team up with him. He wants Frank to be his superior officer. He wants Curtis to be his superior officer. He wants O'Connor to be his superior officer, you know. Both Lewis and Frank in different ways, but they're both trying to recreate that kind of military structure, it seems, in their lives. Yeah, definitely. I guess one, and I don't want us to go too much longer, but, but one of the things I want to touch on is, um, and we started to get it into the very beginning, but um, last week, or a couple weeks ago, Jacob and I did a, a show about the idea of devotion to a cause and how people can, all the different problems that can happen when people are justifying their actions through the cause that they are, are, um, that, that, you know, that, that they're so dead, they're so patriotic or they're so focused on justice or whatever that they can do terrible things. And one of the things that we touched on a little bit in that, but didn't get into more, but I think Frank is a great example of is where a person is in theory working towards some greater cause, but really they only have their own personal interests at heart. Um, and, and I think I, I, to me, at least I want to hear what you guys think. That's a, a key part of this whole Punisher story is that, He's presented as the person who's fighting crime, the person who is trying to make the world better by killing all the criminals, the person who's trying to make sure that the things that happen to him don't happen to anyone else. But but on some level, I feel like he's not out for any of that. He is just out for his own personal vengeance, vendetta, and if it means that those people can't do bad things to other people, great, but really he just wants to, as the name says, punish them. Um, what's your take on where Where does he kind of fall in terms of that, like, is there anything altruistic to be seen in his goals, or is it just about his own personal uh, desire for revenge? I think in this show, in what we've seen of him in the MCU, I would agree with you that, yeah, it's, I mean, he doesn't even make any pretense of it not being about revenge for what happened to his family. This is all, I mean, we're still yeah. in that point where it's sort of set up for the whole concept of the Punisher as someone who eradicates crime for crime's sake and not because of what specifically happened to his family. And it's actually, I've been thinking recently about 
how they're going to do a season two because like I already mentioned how completely ludicrous Frank's backstory has gotten. Like they can't reveal that it, it was <laughs> actually secretly somebody else. So it's going to happen. There's to... no more Russian Easter eggs. <laughs> oh no, I got it. I got it. What they're going to do is they're going to say that all of those people in that military structure got their, got their orders from Kilgrave and Kilgrave's oh. back. Uh... And then they can tie it into that. Nice. Or it's all part of the Infinity Gauntlet, you know? Yeah. Finally tie the two it, things together. <laughs> it, was, it was just the corruption. I would love to see Frank taking on Thanos because, I mean, he'd lose, <laughs> but he'd just be so mad about it. He'd lose so hard. I'd love to see him take on Luke Cage because oh, it'd God. just be fun. I'd just laugh, and then Luke would that, knock him out. That's Okay, so... I just pictured a scene of those two confronting each other and Frank, you know, unloading with, with whatever weapon he happens to think he identifies with that day. Um, the aftermath of that scene has to be one of the most comic moments in, in whatever show it is, because there's actually a bit in the current defenders comic where uh, Matt and Luke go to Trank to track Frank down and he throws acid at Luke and it just like eats away the front of Luke's shirt, but otherwise doesn't hurt him. And Luke is like <laughs> holding Frank by the scruff of his neck and Frank is yelling something. And Matt's like, yes, yes, we know you're the big scary punisher. Yes. We're half measures, blah, blah. And Luke's like, man, another shirt. <laughs> I, I mean, it, I, I will also say if in somewhere in this Danny Rand gets hit in the crossfire, that's the one piece of collateral damage I'm okay with. Fine by me. Um, but, Just to um, get back on. But 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 I, I well no actually uh, I, there was a way I wanted to, to take it back and then Jacob go go for it. But um, because uh, to me I think that the, the interesting point there is uh, going back to where we were. I I think you're I think we're all right that 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 uh, Frank doesn't see um, Frank doesn't see this as anything but his own altruism. But um, Jess, I think you pointed out in your article, both Micro and uh, Karen are trying to put on this altruistic idea to him. You know, both of them are saying he's doing this for us. He's doing this to make things better. Um, yeah, the bit where Micro says, something... this man is dying for your justice. I was like, no, he's not. <laughs> Did he tell you yeah. that's what he was doing? Because it's not. Well, I mean, he was, but that wasn't his intent. He's dying for yeah. his vengeance. And there's no mistaking it. I think that's really interesting, that desire to sort of find some altruistic goal in what is really just a quest for, for vengeance, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and I, I, I wonder how many heroes we could look at and see the audience might see this as something, you know, altruistic, but is it really about that or is it really just, you know, his own person, their own personal You mean quest? like Batman? Well, I was going to say Batman. Um, I think... Batman has a very similar, like, I'm going to stop all the crime ever, totally unrealistic goal. But whether or not Batman is, like, a horrible person who dresses up like a rodent or a hero depends <laughs> on whether he's stopping crime to punch out the criminals who killed his parents or if he's stopping crime to help other orphans like the boy he was right. and yeah. where you come to that question really determines the kind of Batman story you're going to tell. But with the Punisher, there is no Punisher story with the slight exception of his, you know, attempts to protect micros children, which I did actually really like that with that exception, mm -hmm. there's not yeah. really any Punisher story where it's like, He's going to punish these people to save anyone's life. He's just going to shoot people because he wants to shoot them. Yeah. Jacob, I know you were starting to make a point before I jumped we, in. We got there. Uh, okay. <laughs> nothing else has to be said on that point. Well, let me ask our last question then before we start to wrap up. Uh, and this is kind of more of a meta question, but I think it's, it's essential to this whole idea of, you know, enjoying superhero and, and science fiction kind of content while, while being ethical and moral people, or at least as we try to. Um, what What's our overall... Because my impression is that all of us found this show... Like, we thought it was a good show in terms of, like, acting, directing, and, and it was enjoyable in a lot of ways. 
and also really problematic. Um, what what's your take on that? Like, would you be able to walk away and say this that you enjoyed this show, that it was a good show? How how do you balance? Because at the end, it is entertainment, and and how do we how do we wind up thinking about stuff that is succeeds at being entertaining while also being really problematic? Well, for me, I I think that the the best way that that I find going about it is every time I talk about it. I ensure I actively criticize it for the things that I didn't that, that I found problematic, um, because it, it needs to be understood that yes, I enjoyed this thing, but I'm fully aware that these things are problems, and then I can sleep at night. Uh, but if I sit, just sit there going, "Yep, this is a great show," and I don't ever pay any mental space or or vocal space to the many issues it raised, some of which we even did, haven't even talked about here. Uh, so there's this whole thing where David's spying on his family uh, in an incredibly creepy way, and we get, like, one line paid to it, and it's Frank saying, you can't ever tell them you but that you were doing this. Deeply right. upsetting. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, I agree with you. Um, I, I also, when I talk about this show... I I can never leave it at just, yeah, it was well done. It's always, it was well done. But, um, but it's definitely something that I have found myself wrestling with. I mean, I, I'd written an earlier article at Book Riot um, in the lead up to Daredevil season two called It's Time to Retire the Punisher. And what inspired me to write it was watching all of this, uh, PR stuff, all this press for season two of Daredevil. And in every interview, John Bernthal kept saying that he understood sort of what a responsibility he had portraying this character because he knew how much the character meant to military and law enforcement personnel. And maybe I was yeah. naive, but that was not something that I knew about the character, that he was popular in, among those demographics. And I was really taken aback by that. I was really alarmed. This character who I knew of as shows up and shoots everybody was beloved among these groups that are given guns and entrusted with my safety. Like that made me very uncomfortable. Before I wrote the article, I thought I'm going to need to do, to read as many Punisher comics as I can because being a woman on the internet, if I say that we shouldn't have any more Punisher stories, I'm going to get a lot of dudes saying, oh, you've never read a Punisher comic. So I read yeah. about 200 Punisher comics, and I liked a lot of them, and I found myself really liking the character. And then I still wrote the article because it didn't change how I felt about the character in a vacuum. But I've continued yeah. to read Punisher comics. And so I'll get on the internet and I'll be like, there shouldn't be any more Punisher comics and there shouldn't be a Punisher TV show. And then I'll go watch the TV show and read some comics. And it's a contradiction and I don't know how to resolve it. Yeah. I, I mean, as we're talking, I'm thinking about it in, in regard to Danny Rand or, or, or Iron Fist because I, I, in a lot of ways, I think this is more problematic than either Danny Rand, than either Iron Fist or The Defenders. Um, you know, the, the racism and, and, and a lot of the things of, of Iron Fist are, 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 are really problematic and have been spoken of a lot. But, but I, I think this show bothered me in a lot of ways, in a lot more, in a lot more ways. But it's also just a much better show. And, and, and that's something that's, I, I think, I mean, we could do entire months-long podcasts about this topic of how do we deal with problematic entertainment. Uh, and we're no, by no means going to settle it in just a few minutes here. But I think just raising it is important. Of like, uh, and, and again, what I loved in that article, how you talked about it, naming that tension, because the first couple of episodes of this show, I just thought were fantastic. And then as it went on, I started to get more troubled and more troubled, and then especially the gun control scenes. Um, and, and by the time the show ended, I didn't—I honestly just didn't even know how I felt about it, because I thought, on, on one level, if it had been a very well made. I mean, if you think about TV shows like this, they have a point and they're making an argument. To me, if this was a very well made argument that I didn't agree with the argument, that would be one thing. But my problem was more that not only was it an argument I disagreed with, that I think it was, in, as you said, an incoherent argument. And then a lot of ways, it was kind of arguing against itself, and it was it was cheating by by saying all these things are really bad 
But by the way, we're going to get millions of viewers by doing those things that, that we're saying are really bad. Um, and, and it troubles me and it upsets me. And I hope that they don't make a second season of Punisher because he said, "Let's get Elektra instead, or let's get so many oh, other God, seasons please. instead." Let's get. Um, I, I'll admit I didn't love Elektra in season in season two of Daredevil, but I would love to see. Um, I'm blanking on her name, but Jessica Jones's best friend, Trish, who we know, can, yeah, Trish. I'd love to see her get her own show. You know, I'd love to see Colleen Wing get her own show. There's so many other things I, I would much right. rather see rather than Daredevil. Misty season Knight. Two. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Daughters of the Dragon. Uh, although, please, yeah, um, for sure. Yes. Oh, although, please, can we have Tony Stark, not um, <laughs> Danny Rand, build her bionic arm? But, but my point was, if they make Punisher season two, I'm probably going to watch it, um, and then probably get upset about it again. Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, I do want to challenge the idea that um, the Punisher is inherently more problematic than Iron Fist. I think they're problematic in mm-hmm. different ways, but I think, yep. um, and and. I'm in the same boat with Iron Fist where I watched the whole show and then I wrote articles and I was like, this is racist. And then I read the comic and I wrote articles saying, this is also racist. Like, surprise. Um, Well, so it was true to the source material is what you're saying. Oh, God. The the source material is responding to the TV show and getting more racist. It's it's a mess. Um, And and I I should acknowledge that I think that challenge is right. I'm someone who my life has been personally touched by gun violence in a way that as a white person it hasn't been touched by racism. And so I probably find Punisher more problematic because of that personal experience. But you're right. They're, they're probably j- just as problematic, just in very different ways. Well, I think also what you were getting at there is it's – in a lot of ways it's easier to dismiss the problematic aspects of Iron Fist because the show was bad. So <laughs> yeah. you don't worry that anybody's going to take away the wrong message from it because the only message anybody's going to take away from that show is, wow, Danny Rand is a moron. Whereas yeah. with The Punisher, because it so much of it is good, you find yourself in this cycle where you're like, oh, it was good, but it was wrong. But sometimes it was right, but I don't know. And you don't have that yeah. conflict with Iron Fist. You're like, it was bad and it was racist. Okay, I don't have to deal with that anymore. Yeah, no, I think that's a much better way of putting it. Um, So I think that we, we've covered a lot here. Is there any other last points people wanted to make uh, as we kind of wrap up? I think we should have a Daughters of the Dragon show with Colleen and Misty and Elektra and no more Danny and no more Frank. That, that sounds I, pretty good I can also get behind no more Danny and no more Frank. Uh, give me more Luke Cage, please. I, yes. I love Luke Cage. Yeah. <laughs> and give me more Jessica Jones, please. Uh, Soon. Soon? Yes. I'm very excited. When we were talking about uh, all the different people who we wanted to see Frank Castle have conversations with, I was, I was thinking at one point um, when we were talking about Karen that I think a conversation between Karen and Jessica Jones would be fascinating. Yes. Um, just in terms of how they both have some of the self-destructive, uh, but in such different Why ways. Why did they never talk in Defenders? Women don't get to talk to each other. Yeah. Yeah. Uh... Karen only gets to talk to Trish, who tells her that Matt being, like, unavailable and a mess means that he loves her. I don't know. That conversation pissed me off. <laughs> That's a very yeah. high school mentality. I... <laughs> yeah. I... I... But it's what we get in the comics. If if women are going to talk to each other, it's going to be about a guy. Yeah. Um, so I and I just want to say, actually, as my own little uh, last thing about the show, one thing that I really appreciated um, is not only that it went into a lot of the stuff about PTSD, but for myself as a person who has a prosthetic leg, I loved that we had a veteran who had a prosthetic leg, who joked about it, who talked about it, who made it a part of his character without it being a huge part of his character. Um, for me, that was really wonderful. Um, I wish that he had taken his leg off and beaten someone else with it instead yeah. of Billy hitting him with his leg. Um, cause that's just a, you know, in any D and D game, that's always my first go-to is I'm going to take my leg off and beat you with it's, it. Um, it's funny that you say but, that Matthew, because that scene was, a, was very upsetting violence because that was the way that it fit, that it went down. If it went down the other way, it wouldn't have been nearly as upsetting. It would have been played for laughs. I think it was probably yeah, correct to do it the way that they did it because it was deeply troubling. I, I think that's right. I just wish that I know that there is uh, the idea of taking my leg off and hitting them with someone has been such a common joke in my life ever since I got the prestige. <laughs> sure. I just wish the character had made that joke at least. That's once. fair. That's um, fair. But like I said, it, it it was more representation of my particular disability that I've ever seen on screen. So that alone I was, I was thankful for. Yeah. I would have liked to have seen, 
it, it, it made me very uncomfortable for the same reasons. And I, I would have liked to have seen sort of um, a, a lack of privilege weaponized against the privileged as opposed to the other way around. Yeah. Yeah. But I can also understand, I mean, but that the realism of, yeah. you know, I know I go through life knowing that at any moment, the, 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 the piece of technology that, that so decides my physical ability could be removed. Um, so, yeah, it, 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 it's the balance, but uh, it would have been great the other way. Well, well, thank you guys both for being on this. Uh, Jess, you want to take a minute? Um, I know I, we've talked a little about your writing and you have just started a podcast career. Um, what, uh, how can people find out more about what you're doing and what you're writing and saying and where to find it? Uh, yeah. So I'm on Twitter at Jess underscore Plummer. I do most of my online writing at bookriot.com. And yes, I just started a podcast, uh, with, uh, my co-host and it is called Flights and Tights. It is a Superman podcast where we'll be talking about all the movies that Superman has appeared in. And the best way to find that is currently on SoundCloud or uh, by going to uh, Twitter at Flights Tights. We have one whole episode up, and I'm very excited about it. Cool. Yeah, I, I haven't had a chance to listen to that, but I'm really looking forward to it. Uh, well, thank you again for being on this. Uh, Jacob, thank you as always for being our co-host. Uh, to everyone listening, um, we will have links to uh, Jessica's Twitter and to her um, writings and podcast. Uh, please follow them and check her out. And let us know what you think. What did you think of The Punisher? Uh, were you troubled in the same way we were? Were there parts that bothered you that we didn't talk about or things that you loved that we didn't talk about? Let us know. You can tweet or uh, find us on Facebook and join the conversation at Superhero Ethics. Uh, you can also email us at superheroethics at gmail.com. Uh, talk to us about that. Or um, our next episode that we're really excited for is we're going to be doing an episode coming up on The Last Jedi, the newest Star Wars movie. Um Becky, who was the um, the great author and and also now a new podcaster, um, who uh, Becky Allen, who was um, our guest, my guest uh, on an episode about Rogue uh, Rogue One and the the hero's journey. Um, she's going to be coming back to talk about the Last Jedi, and so we're really excited about that. If you have questions or thoughts or, or ideas about the Last Jedi that you want us to discuss on that on that episode with Becky, uh, tweet at us before then and let us know, or email us or Facebook at us. Uh, to both you guys, thank you for being a part of it. Uh, to all of you uh, listening, thank you so much. Take care. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you Lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.